0: As we've been wrapping up our time in the Gospel of Luke, we've been looking at what has been happening to Jesus and what that means for us. Uh, there's a lot of overlap in these final chapters and the, the ideas that are being presented from Luke's Gospel. We've seen him as the Passover lamb, uh, the the one that is going to be Uh, A sacrifice for us. We saw him as the rejected Savior who was purchasing our acceptance. And today, we're going to see Jesus taking our condemnation. He's taking the condemnation that we deserved. The punishment that we deserved. So, the sermon is titled, Jesus, the innocent Savior who was condemned in our place. Jesus, the innocent Savior, who was condemned in our place. Turn with me to Luke 23. I'm going to read the first 25 verses and pray for us. Luke 23, verse 1. Then their whole assembly rose up and brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation. Opposing payment of taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is the Messiah a king So Pilate asked him Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him you say so Pilate then told the chief priest and the crowds I find no Grounds for charging this man, but they kept insisting he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, where he started even to hear Jesus. I'm sorry, uh, even to hear when Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was a Galilean finding that he was under Herod's jurisdiction. He sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time, he had wanted to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So he kept asking him questions, but Jesus did not answer him. The chief priest and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in bright clothing, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Previously, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people and said to them, you've brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things that you accuse him of. Neither has Herod because he sent him back to us. Clearly, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped, and then release him. Then they all cried out together, Take this man away, release Barabbas to us. He had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city, and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and released the one that they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We confess it is true as we do each week. And we ask that you um, work in us because of this truth. Help us believe. Uh, If there's any here who have not believed today, help them believe. Uh, But help us. As your church, continue to be shaped by these truths and let our lives be changed because of them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is one of those passages that has just kind of one main focus that we're going to be looking at. Uh, So what we're going to do is just kind of walk through. I want to just highlight the details of what is taking place in these 25 verses. And then we're going to see uh, what this means for us of what Jesus is enduring and what he has done. The first thing that we'll see in this passage is Jesus is falsely accused before Pilate. Jesus is falsely accused before Pilate. Last week we saw he essentially had his religious trial. Uh, the He was before the Sanhedrin, the, the essentially kind of supreme court for the nation of Israel, the a religious supreme court. Uh, And they were ready to have him killed. They'd been looking for a while, but they finally get Jesus to make this claim of being the Son of God. And in their mind, this is blasphemy and deserving of death because they didn't believe it was true. However, I mentioned last week that because of their oppression from Rome, because of Rome's control over Jerusalem, Rome did not allow other uh, people groups to execute individuals they did not let them carry out death penalty so the Jews did not have the right to kill Jesus so what they have to do is get Jesus, or get Rome to recognize Jesus as a threat and that's what they're going to do here and they've been working towards that we've seen that already uh, as they've been questioning him uh, in this last week of his life so in verse 1 Then their whole assembly rose up and brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. Pilate then told the chief priest and the crowds, I find no grounds for charging this man. But they kept insisting. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, where he started even to here. Jesus is taken before Pilate. Pilate is uh, the Roman governor over uh, Judea and where Jerusalem is. So he's the one that they've got to convince. If they can get Pilate to recognize Jesus as a threat, then Pilate will hand him over to be executed. And the accusations that they bring are false accusations. So they start with kind of a broad statement. He's misleading our nation. He's misleading our people. Of course, as the divine Son of God, He's doing the opposite of that. He's actually leading the people in the perfect truth and teaching them the perfect truth. He's leading them in the way of God. They're just rejecting Him. But then they get to the points of what it is that they think will cause Pilate to say, okay, well, let's get rid of this threat. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. That's a direct lie. We saw a few weeks ago, uh, earlier in Luke, I think it's in chapter 20, we saw that uh, they tried to trip him up with this. They thought if we can get him to say that the people shouldn't pay their taxes, then Rome's going to kill him for it. And so they said, should we pay taxes or not? And if you were here, you saw that Jesus asked for the denarius. He's like, do you have a a denarius with you? Whose image is on that? Whose inscription is on that? And if you were here, you remember the statements that he gave. Render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. Give to Caesar that coin. He can have it, but render to God only what belongs to God. Right? So he did not oppose paying taxes. He actually, when they tried to trip him up earlier in this week, he directly said, you should give to Caesar what belongs to him. So that's a a direct lie. The next item is a partial truth, but they're giving it with a deception, uh, trying to pose him as a threat. He's even saying that he himself is a messiah and then they clarify, our Messiah is a king, surely that's going to get Pilate's attention in their mind, right? He's saying he's the ruler. Now, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus had made statements to clarify who he is and what what the fulfillment of his role as the Messiah was. However, Jesus was not a political threat to Rome. But that's what they're painting him as. He says he's the king. Pilate takes up questioning Jesus and just gets straight to it. Are you the king of the Jews or not? Tell me, are are you the king? And Jesus gives that. We saw him give a statement like this last week when they asked him, are you saying you're the son of God? And he gives kind of this affirmative statement that does not come across as a direct affirmative in the English. He says, you say so. But in the Greek, that essentially means what you say is true. What you've said is accurate. So yes, I'm the king of the Jews. It's as you have said, Pilate. However, Pilate doesn't really view this Jesus as much of a threat. And why would he? Remember, he spent his night being tortured, mocked, ridiculed, spit upon, beaten for hours before he ever gets to the Sanhedrin and then before he gets to Pilate. So I'm sure that Jesus did not look very royal and regal as he stood before Pilate. And so in those questions, he tells the people, I don't see any reason to charge him. The stuff that you're saying about him, the threat that you're painting him to be, I don't see it. I find no grounds for charging this man. However, remember, they are determined. They've been waiting for this opportunity to hand him over and have him put to death. And they keep on insisting. He's stirring up the people. He's constantly causing problems. from the time he started teaching until now, all the way from Galilee where he started to now, he's a troublemaker Pilate. You've got to do something about him, that idea of stirring up the people. He's trying to paint him as a rebel who uh, is trying to lead people in riots. He's trying to stir up people to cause trouble. For you and for Caesar, you've got to do something about him. So they are unwilling to let this go. They are insisting, you've got to kill this man. So Jesus is falsely accused before Pilate. But in that, Pilate is going to realize he doesn't, he's, he's made his declaration. I see no reason to charge him. But the people won't give up. And so he realizes in their discussion, oh, I have a way out of this. I can do something about this to where I don't have to make this decision. And so now we're going to see that Jesus is going to be falsely accused before Herod. Jesus is falsely accused before Herod. That's the second thing we see in this text. Verse 6 through 12. When Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was a Galilean. Finding that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time, he had wanted to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So he kept asking him questions, but Jesus did not answer him. The chief priest and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in bright clothing, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Previously, they had been enemies. So Pilate, hearing that Jesus started his ministry, started his teaching in Galilee, realizes, I have a way out. Herod is the ruler, Herod Antipas. He was the one of the children of Herod the Great. He had been given control of a fourth of Herod the Great's kingdom. He was in charge of the northern part that included Galilee. And when Pilate hears, oh, this man started out in Galilee, he realizes, "I can, I can pass this on. I don't have to be the one that makes this decision so he says is he a Galilean and finding out that he was he says well we'll send him over to Herod Herod's over Galilee Herod needs to be the one that makes this decision now it's important that we remember the last verse here says they were enemies until this moment He was not friends with Herod. He was not thinking of Herod as like someone he respected and thought, well, I want to uh, let him make this decision because he's technically the one that's in charge. He wouldn't have thought like that because Herod is his enemy. He's thinking of this as this gets me out of having to make the decision. I don't have to be the one that upsets the people. And so he sends him to Herod. And Herod's very happy about this opportunity. But Herod's not happy because he was hoping to see the Son of God or this supposed king. Herod had heard about Jesus' ministry. And Herod is hoping for a circus act. Herod is hoping to basically turn Jesus into a court jester, right? Come do some amazing thing to wow us, Jesus. And so Herod is happy to see him and he hopes to see a miracle performed by him. Herod has likely heard the stories. He heals people who are sick and dying. He fed thousands of people from a few scraps of food. He even there's people who said he raised someone from the dead. And so Herod is thinking, okay, well, let's see something. Impress me, Jesus. And he keeps asking questions, but Jesus doesn't answer him. The questions are likely trying to get him to show him a sign, trying to get him to perform some kind of miracle. It may have included questions about who he was, why he was such a threat, but it seems to be more he's wanting a uh, some type of circus act to be en- enjoyed, you know, to for them to have some entertainment. And as he's doing that, Jesus remains silent. And in verse 10, we see the chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. All the accusations that they tried with Pilate that didn't work, they're now trying with Herod, accusing him, lashing out, telling Herod, why this man is such a threat and why he needs to be executed. And it says that Jesus stood by and did not answer. He said nothing. He remained silent. That's a fulfillment, another fulfillment that comes from Isaiah 53. I told you we'll see several times throughout these final chapters of Luke. Luke pointing out And God, through Luke, pointing out how Jesus is a a fulfillment of the suffering servant. So in Isaiah 53, he was oppressed, this is verse 7, and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. He remained silent. He didn't answer any of Herod's questions. He didn't defend himself against any of the lashing out from the, the chief priest and the scribes. He stood silent and took those accusations without defending himself. And so, since they don't get the miracle that they hoped for, since they didn't get the, uh, since Herod didn't get the, uh, you know, the, the entertainment out of seeing something miraculous happen, that they could be like, ooh, wow, did you see him do that? They decide to get their entertainment somewhere else. They mock Jesus, treat him with contempt, dress him up in the finest clothes, bright clothing, and make all kinds of jokes about this supposed king who won't even stand up for himself, won't even defend himself. And after they get a little bit of entertainment out of that, Herod's had enough of him, and he sends him back to Pilate. Jesus has been falsely accused before Pilate. He's now been falsely accused before Herod, and neither of them felt like what they've heard is a reason to uh, condemn Jesus to death. And so that's going to lead us into the third point that we see. Jesus is declared innocent. The third thing we see from this text is he is going to be declared innocent over and over again. We've already seen that once in the initial uh, accusations, But now, picking up in the text, verse 13 through 16, Pilate called together the chief priest, the leaders and the people, and said to them, you have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things that you accuse him of. Neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly, clearly he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. And then skipping down to verse 22. A third time he said to them, Why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. He is declared innocent over and over again. First from Pilate in the initial accusations. I don't find grounds to charge him. And now, Pilate calls them together for his official ruling. Here's the decision. You said this about this man. You said he's a troublemaker that misleads your people. I find there to be no evidence of this. He's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. And then he uses the argument Herod felt the same way. If Herod felt like he deserved death, Herod would have handed him over to death. But he sent him back to us. This man is innocent. Over and over again, the declaration is made. And so as they keep arguing, no, he must die, Pilate asks, what has this man done wrong? I have found no grounds for the death penalty. He doesn't deserve what you're saying he deserves. Repeatedly declared innocent. And this is such an important part for us to understand what is happening. What Jesus is, is enduring on our behalf. So that leads us to the last thing that we see in this text Jesus was condemned to die while a guilty man was set free Jesus was condemned to die while a guilty man was set free verse 18 through 21 then they all cried out together take this man away release Barabbas to us He had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Then skipping down to verse 23, but they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that He be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and released the one that they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. Pilate's declared, Herod has declared, Pilate has declared repeatedly this man's done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve death, he's innocent. But the crowds keep screaming for his death. Now, you'll notice we didn't read verse 17. If you have another translation, I'm reading from the CSB. Uh, If you have another translation, uh, it may have 17 included in it. The CSB has a verse 17 as a note. So verse 17 of the text says, For according to the festival, he had to release someone to them. The reason the CSB doesn't include this is the earliest manuscripts don't have that verse in the text. Uh, They believe that it was possibly added in later on to give clarification of why it was that the people started demanding for Barabbas to be released. So the, the information, the background to this request was... At the festival, remember, this is Passover season. And so at the festival, there was some type of agreement where the Roman authorities would release a prisoner back to the Jewish people. That had become the tradition. And so the people start to demand that a rebel be released. They demand Jesus' death and then they say, Release Barabbas to us. And then we learn who Barabbas is. Verse 19, he's been thrown in prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. Barabbas was the rebel. Barabbas was the one that stirred up trouble. He actually had taken place in a riot and a rebellion in Jerusalem a rebellion that was intended to overthrow Rome. Barabbas was the one that deserved death and likely was awaiting his death. And they demand that he be released. And so in that rebellion, we also see that there were people that died. So his charges, he is a murderer and a rebel. And the people are demanding, let the guilty man, go. Take away this one that you've said is innocent. Of course, they believe Jesus deserves death, but you'd wonder why would they want a rebel who is a murderer? Why would you want a murderer released back into your community? Remember what many of the people hoped for in their Messiah at this time. The people were hoping for a king that was going to overthrow Rome. Jesus has made it clear he has no intention to take on the political state of Rome. But Barabbas was. Barabbas actually picked up arms and tried to fight against Rome. And so that's the kind of guy that they want. They don't want Jesus. And so over and over again, Pilate tries to get out of this. And he says, I'm I'm going to whip him and let him go. I'm going to beat him and let him go. He's done nothing wrong. That was likely an an attempt to appease the, the accusers. Well, if they see him beaten severely, surely they'll be satisfied. That also was a practice that they would do if there was an individual who hadn't been found guilty of a charge, but they wanted to send them a message of like, hey, quit stirring up whatever trouble you're stirring up. They would beat them. Yeah, you're not guilty, but we want you to know we got our eye on you. But more than likely, the biggest thing was, let, I'm, I'm going to try to satisfy this wrath coming from the people and I'll beat this Jesus for them and maybe they'll give up, but they will not. And so verse 23, we just read it, but I'll read it again. They kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and he released the one that they were asking for. He released the guilty one, the one that actually deserved death, the one that was actually a rebel. He released him and he handed Jesus over to their will. He signed off on Jesus' execution, the one who has been declared repeatedly innocent and guilty of nothing. He's done nothing that deserves this. And yet Jesus is the innocent Savior, and he's condemned to die while the guilty man is set free. So that takes us to, that's our central truth for today from this text. And yes, it it overlaps with what we've been seeing in these final weeks in Luke's gospel. Jesus is the innocent Savior who was condemned in our place, I hope that we all see we're Barabbas. We're the guilty one, every one of us. We are the ones that deserve condemnation. We are the ones that deserve death. We are the rebels. Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In God's eyes, and according to God's law, we're the rebels. We have broken the law of God repeatedly in our lives. And Romans six twenty-three clarifies what that means for us. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death. We've earned that because of our rebellion against a holy God. And so we are Barabbas. But God wasn't content in handing us over to what it was that we deserved. God loved us so much that he sent his son for us. And Jesus is going to stand in our place and take the condemnation that we deserve. And so back in Romans three, he continues to clarify what happens with us because of Jesus Christ. We are all sinners. We are all guilty, but verse 24, but they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Jesus in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in His blood. Received through faith. God made Jesus a sacrifice in our place. We are made right with God. We are justified with God. Not by anything that I can do. Not by anything that you can do. But by what Jesus Christ has done. The fact that he stood condemned in our place. And what does it mean where Paul says that in verse 25. That this is received through faith. Well, that means it's not anything that we receive because of what we've done. It's just by believing in Jesus." John 3:16: "For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believed in Him would not perish, would not face the death that we deserved, but instead would have everlasting life, eternal life, because Jesus stood condemned in our place. He took the death that we deserve. So if you are here today and you have never believed in him, today is the day for trusting in Jesus. The only way that you can be made right with God and receive the forgiveness of sins is by believing in Jesus. And so if you have questions about that, if you want to know more about what Jesus Christ has done for you and how you can be made right with God, please see me or one of our ministry leaders after the service. We'd love to talk with you more about Christ standing condemned in our place and what that means for us. And if you have believed in Him, church, listen to these promises. Right? We see earlier in... uh, We see in John's Gospel, earlier in Jesus' ministry, in John 8, 36, Jesus says, If the Son has set you free... You were free indeed. Church, listen to that promise. If you have been set free because of what Jesus Christ did for you by standing in your place, you were free. Free from the guilt, free from the shame, free from the the control that sin has on our lives. We are free indeed because of Jesus Christ. And then further on in Romans, Another promise. Therefore, Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you have trusted in Jesus, you aren't condemned anymore. You were condemned because of your sin, because of your rebellion, and it was what you deserved. And yet if you are in Jesus, if you've believed in Jesus, you don't face condemnation anymore. Because he stood condemned in your place. Because he took the guilt that you had earned. He set you free. Just like Barabbas. The guilty party has been set free. Because the innocent Savior stood condemned in our place. So what do we do now? With that reality defining who we are. We've been made right with God because of Jesus, because he stood in our place. Well, Paul continues that in his argument throughout Romans. And we see in Romans 12, 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So what do we do now? The, the appropriate response to the Savior who has given His life for you is to then in turn give your life for Him. Paul calls it a living sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice took His life. And Paul says because that happened, because of the mercy of God that's been given to you, now live your life as a sacrifice to God. Live your life in obedience and service to our Lord. That's the appropriate response to the Savior who gave up his life for you is to now turn around and give your life back to him in obedience and service. Jesus is the innocent Savior who stood condemned in our place. And because he did, we can walk in the freedom that he has accomplished for us, that he's provided for us and we can now live our lives for the Savior by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pursue that for His glory. Let's pray. God, You are so faithful to send Your Son for a bunch of rebels who deserved condemnation, for a bunch of sinners Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for standing in our place. Holy Spirit, help us live in response to that. Help us live a life that is a living sacrifice for our Savior. Use us for your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen.